today we have Colin Mulan and he is a support coordinator. I have been watching him online and listening to all his very informative comments on support coordination. So as you guys know that this podcast is about understanding, really understanding disability care, what it entails, how it benefits the participants, their families, and how it benefits us, the providers who provide service in the industry. Welcome to the Disability and Aged Care Podcast, brought to you by LevHelp, where we make person-centered care in a safe, caring environment easily accessible. Caring is our calling. We live to make life less difficult for others. I am Arun Ellis, a registered nurse, educator, and consultant in disability sector. And I'm so glad to have your company on this journey. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purpose only. The content of this podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional advice. Some content can be a trigger to the listener. If this happens, please stop listening and seek professional help. So without further ado, welcome Colin. Thank you Aruna for the invitation. It's good to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. And we will start. Um, so what we'll do in this conversation is we'll understand the role, the various roles that people play in NDIS sector, that is National Disability Insurance Scheme sector. So one of the role is of support coordination. So we'll just talk to Colin more about the role, what it entails, how it benefits the clients, how it benefits the NDIS as a system. And a bit more about Colin and his work. So Colin, as we start, what we'll first really, really like to know is what is support coordination? Sure. So support coordination is one of the categories of funding that people will see, often see in their NDIS plan. It can be broken down into probably four key roles within support coordination. So I'll use some terminology from NDIS. So there's level one, level two, and level three support coordination. And there's also psychosocial recovery coaching, which is very, very similar. So level one support coordination is very similar to what a local area coordinator who is a partner to the NDIS. They are similar to a planner that works directly with the NDIA. So support connection, that level one of support coordination, it's called support connection. That does a very similar role to an LAC but it's just a third party organization not attached to the NDIA. So that's usually very minimal supports. It's usually under 24 hours in a year. So very minimal work needs to be done. It's just a contact point. The second level is called coordination of supports. And that's what I do and what the vast majority of support coordinators do in NDIS. And that's a more detailed approach to helping people implement their plans. And it's got a big focus on capacity building. So allowing some assistance to, for participants to learn how to manage their own plan and engage their services. The third level is called specialist support coordination. Mm -hmm. That's for more complex needs. A specialist support coordinator is quite often an allied health professional or like a social worker. So they've got some extra skills to deal with complex issues. That might be people who are involved in the justice system and have drug and alcohol issues on top of their disability or maybe facing homelessness or just have a very complex care team. 
that needs to be coordinated. And then the fourth one that I mentioned was psychosocial recovery coaching. So that's a distinct focus on mental health. It's a lot more flexible with the supports. Support coordination is really a Monday to Friday, nine to five job. Psychosocial recovering is a lot more flexible and it can be provided outside of those hours across weekends. It can be used in a crisis management situation. So the vast majority of participants that are going to have support coordination are going to be at that level two coordination of supports. And just to put people in the picture, about 40% of participants will have support coordination funding. So it's not open to everybody, but you can ask for it. So if, if a participant feels that they need some help with their plan, particularly if it's their first plan, they can ask for support coordination to be put into that funding. So interesting, isn't it? When I first came into the sector and I was researching, only thing I knew was support coordination and that's what I wanted to do. And the more I started reading about it, I started to realize there is so much more behind just that label of support coordination. How many levels, as you explained, I know lack, we are going to have another guest come in and speak about lack, guys. So we'll go more detailed into it. So Colin, from a participant's perspective, though those who are already in NDIS and they kind of know the ropes, they know what to do because, you know, they have learned either by asking people or they have learned the hard way. But those who are new, how do they know to ask or how do they get support coordination into their plan? Yeah, that's, that's often a step that's missed in the whole process. Most people that go through access, they might use an advocate to help them out, or it could be a friend or family member that helps them to get access to the NDIS. And there's not a lot of thought until they're meeting with the NDIA planner or they're meeting with the local area coordinator. And then they're usually hit with the question of whether they want a plan manager and whether they want a support coordinator. And most people aren't prepared for that question because it just hasn't come up. So at that point, I, I would recommend to everybody that they get a plan manager and a support coordinator. Both of those are additional funding. It doesn't affect the rest of their plan. So it's not going to impact on their supports or their allied health therapies either. So this is extra funding and it's always good to ask. If someone has a plan and they are struggling to implement it and they're not getting support from the agency or the LAC, they can always go back and ask for support coordination. And so if they're struggling, I recommend that they do that. So they go straight back to the LAC or their planner. They ask for just put in a change of circumstances to say, I'm struggling with this. I can't get my services engaged. I need some help. Please give me a support coordinator. Yeah, that's that's the, the best way. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It is to understand what a support coordinator does. So if I am understanding it correctly, support coordinator is that professional friend that comes in and help you find services, help you find support workers and tell you what or guide you in a process that what you can spend your funding on and you cannot, at least we can recommend and cannot spend the funding on. Uh, am I correct, Tilla? Yes, that's part of it. I'll give you an analogy. Entering NDIS territory is like going on a holiday to a foreign country where you don't understand the language, they have different customs, different laws, different culture. It's just new territory. The support coordinator is the tour guide. So they're going to try and get you the best experience possible. They're going to help you navigate unfamiliar territory. They're going to translate for you. They're going to help you avoid the pitfalls. And if you're in a foreign country and you want to go and visit a place, 
They'll go, no, 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 let's not go at nine o'clock in the morning because everyone else will be there. Let's go at three o'clock in the afternoon and you'll get a much better view and a much better experience. That's the role of the support coordinator. Help guide you to get the best experience. And it's also about minimizing risk as well. So ensuring that you get safe quality services in place, that you're protected from people that might want to defraud you or not provide the best services as possible. So to go back to what you were saying, there's a few things that support coordinators do. And NDIS has a big list of what the role is, a little bit of a list of what the role isn't. Um, <laughs> so the primary function is to help facilitate the plan implementation. So it, again, it's that navigating the advising it's about unpacking the budget, so understanding what all the categories of funding are and how they can be used appropriately and assisting the participant to make that last for the life of the plan. The other aspects that we look, to look at with support coordination is researching different options providing a range of solutions and a range of services and providers so that the participant can choose the one that they feel most comfortable with and also you know, mediating any issues that might crop up as well. So we engage supports and services. That includes mainstream services, so things that are outside of NDIS. So, for example, if someone's having trouble with their housing, a support coordinator can be used to help engage with, you know, state government in terms of housing or private rentals or other aspects of that. And the final part is we help with plan reassessments. So when you get to the end of a plan and you need to go back to the NDIA to ask for next year's lot of funding or the next two years, support coordinators help there. We gather the evidence that you need to support your request for funding and we prepare our own report to the NDIS, which summarizes the progress that a participant might have made with their plan or outline any barriers or issues that cropped up during the year and detail the strategies that we're using to overcome those. So we do a lot. It's a full, full on uh, role, isn't it? it if really it, done it well, it's a really full on, full on role. And you need to know so much about those codes and just the sheer amount of doubts and questions that we see in the Facebook pages. And, you know, it is so easily said that to read it, but if you don't have the background to understand what is written in those codes and what NDIS is asking, it can be so, so confusing. So it is because from where I stand, I see support coordinators, especially people like you who have knowledge and experience, talk about it. But then I see it not only benefiting the participants, but benefiting other people, especially disability support workers and agencies, how to navigate through NDIS. If I think of NDIS, I only think of a maze, like, you know, it's like a scary maze, you get lost in it. And that's the idea of this podcast, to bring it to our level, everyday NDIS workers level, so we can understand it better. So having a support coordinator's role in NDIS, some thought went into it. And how do you, from your experience, see this role benefiting the agency, like benefiting NDIS itself? Yeah, that's an interesting question. The main reason for the service is outsourcing. So the NDIS don't want to do that job themselves. The NDIA's role is to administrate the scheme. So they're controlling where the funds go, how the funds are managed, and dealing with all those issues. Their role is not to be working directly with participants. 
they're an administration body only. So really it's about outsourcing. So the NDIS sees it as a more efficient way of delivering the service and they obviously think it's value for money. If they didn't think that, they would bring it in-house and do it themselves, but they've got limited resources. So, you know, there are thousands of support coordinators in Australia, far more than the total number of staff at the NDIA. So it's, it just wouldn't be effective for them to do it. So it really is about outsourcing. The whole premise of the NDIS scheme is to be putting these services out to the market so that there's a wide range of providers available and it gives participants the best choice, the best options. So there are good providers and there are less good providers. (laughs) Very kind of you. (laughs) So (laughs) look, that's across the board with support coordinators or allied health or or Uh, just general support. So really it comes down to what's going to work for the participant. And one service may work extremely well for one participant, but it may not work particularly well for another participant. And that's just the choice and control that participants have. It's up to them to pick the service that works for them. So same with support coordination. Yeah, just got to make the right choice. You need to match personality too, isn't it? You need to shop around a little bit and find the person who speaks your language in terms of that emotional investment that is needed, who understands you. And I think that's where it benefits the participants that they can choose. But on the sad side is, as we see in our profession, there is a lot of promises made and... (laughs) And nothing offered in return. So from a participant's point of view, how do they navigate that dangerous place where there are so many to pick from and they are tired, they are confused, they are frustrated. Sometimes it is just pick somebody and cross one thing that they have to do. So what are some of the things that you can recommend that participants or their loved ones look for when they are choosing a support coordinator? Yeah, sure. So there's an organization called Summer Foundation, um, and they've actually got a really good booklet on how to choose a support coordinator. I'll send that through to you so you can put the link in your show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really it's a really good document for participants to help gauge that. From my perspective, there's probably two things I would look at. One is really essential criteria that somebody should look at, and then there's about personal preferences. Mm-hmm. So if we start with the essential criteria, I would say get a local coordinator. So someone that knows the area you live in and the services that are available in that area. I think that's really essential. There are a lot of support coordinators that will do remote work. So if you're living in Perth in WA and you get a Queensland support coordinator, that might work for some people, Hmm. but it's going to be very difficult for that Queensland operator to understand the local market in Perth and know who the good service providers are and the ones to stay away from. So I think local knowledge is really important. Experience is very, very important. Experience brings knowledge. And you referred to the NDIS as a maze before, and it really is. If you don't know your way through the maze, the coordinator is going to get lost with the participant. Mm -hmm. Um, So you definitely need some good experience there. Asking questions about a person's work history, background, experience will help and bring some comfort on that question. The other thing is the capacity and the caseload that the coordinator has. So that's going to vary depending on whether that coordinator is part-time or full-time, if they work for themselves or in a bigger organization, that capacity is going to change. But generally, if a support coordinator has got a caseload of 40 to 50 participants that they're 
assisting, that's really, really busy. And they may be spread too thin. They may not be reachable all the time. They may not be able to attend to the thing crises if they come up. Whereas someone that may only have a caseload, if they're full-time, if they only have a caseload of 25 or 30, they're going to have much more flexibility to respond in a better way. So asking that question about capacity is really important. And again, harking to whether they're a sole trader or work for a big organisation, what happens when that person goes on leave or they get sick? Ah. What's the backup plan? So as long as there's a backup plan, it's all good. But you don't want to be, I'm a sole trader and I have a backup plan. So if, if I need to take a holiday, a colleague who's also in this sector can step in and assist. In a bigger organisation, you've got other teammates and there'll be a, a process that will be there. But check on the backup system. Make sure you, from a participant's point of view that then they're not going to get left in the lurch. So that's the essential things that I would look for. The personal preferences you mentioned before, I, I think it's really important that you've got that rapport between a participant and any service provider but particularly the support coordinator. There's one point probably sits between the essential and the personal preferences. I would call it essential. Other people would say it's a preference. And that is how independent is the support coordinator? What potential conflict of interest might they have? So if they work for a big organisation that provides a whole range of NDIS services, what's their conflict of interest policy? Are they going to be recommending to the participant that they use that organisation's services? An independent support coordinator, particularly someone that's not also delivering other services, is going to not have that same conflict of interest. So some people love the one-stop shop. Yep. So a participant might find that's the easy way to go. Mm. But for others, the independence, the unbiased, objective advice is really important. Another factor that people will need to consider is whether the provider is registered or unregistered. So depending on how the plan funding works, if the funding for support coordination is managed by the NDIA, then the provider must be registered. If the funding is self-managed or plan-managed, then the participant has a choice of any provider to, to deliver that support. A couple of more things that's really yes, good please, for personal please. preferences, your own values and the work style of the provider. So things like communication, are their processes going to work in with the needs of the participant in terms of, for example, I have a participant who prefers to get all documents printed and in the mail. And in this day and age where we're all used to email and, <laughs> and uh, you know, high technology, some providers may not work with the old print and mail out and get it returned a week later in the mail. Some people may not work that way. The other thing is specialisations. A lot of support coordinators may specialise. Now, that could be in the type of disability. It might be in the age bracket. It could be in the specific type of service that they focus on or the area within NDIS. So for me, I really enjoy working with families that are going through a transition. So it might be a teenager that's about to leave school, get into employment, look at a future possibility of having their own independent life in their own home, that kind of transition. So I tend to focus on that. Some other support coordinators may focus on specific disabilities or they may focus on uh, particular age groups. So for me, I really don't work a lot with young children, particularly those under the early childhood situation. The other question I would ask of a support coordinator is how do they build? So this might not seem like an obvious question. That's well, uh, you got me there. I'm like, oh, okay, yes, I'm yeah. curious to hear it. So some support coordinators may build in increments, for example, 15-minute increments. 
So if they have a phone call with a participant that lasts five minutes, they may bill 15 minutes mm -hmm. um, because that's the way their systems are set up. Some may bill in smaller increments, five minutes or six minutes. Personally, I bill in six minutes because it's very easy. It's one-tenth of a, an hour, makes the accounting really easy. But if a participant has three phone calls, for example, in a day, and each of those five-minute phone calls adds up to 15 minutes, the question would be, is the support coordinator going to bill one lot of 15 minutes or three lots of 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. And that can make a really big difference in someone's funding. Yes. So how people bill is really important. The second part of that is how they bill for travel. So with a lot of supports and support coordination is included in this, providers can bill for their travel time. Mm -hmm. So the time that they take to go to a participant's home for a meeting, they can also bill for the kilometre usage of their vehicle. And again, all of that adds up. So it's really good to ask questions about how they bill, what they bill for, so that there's a very clear understanding of what's going to get charged. If someone's only got, say, 24 hours of support coordination in their plan, that needs to be used very, very carefully. Mm. What happens when you find that there is a lot more need for your role in a plan than the funding is for? And this is a common thing, right? Mm -hmm. you know, I, it's very common. Yeah. So how um, do you guys navigate that? Yeah, it's very, very difficult. We have to work with what we've got, unfortunately. So I mentioned before, someone's only got 24 hours in their plan and that needs to last a whole year particularly if it's their first plan, there's going to be a lot of time spent in the first couple of months of that plan, engaging new service providers, setting things up and making sure that the services are running smoothly. So probably half of that 24 hours is going to be used in the first couple of months, just setting everything up. And that doesn't leave a lot of time for the support coordinator for the rest of the plan period, especially if there's a crisis that comes up or there's a significant change. If at the outset, and this is where you have a good conversation with a support coordinator about what they can and what they can't do within that funding, if there's an agreement between the coordinator and the participant that there is insufficient funds, you can always go back for a plan review. So you, the participant can seek to get that reviewed. It really requires some good evidence, though. It's very hard to do in the first year of a first plan mm -hmm. because the NDIA just like to throw out a number and hope it, fit, hope it works. Yeah. Once there's second plan, third plan, you know, into the second, third year, that kind of thing, there's plenty of evidence. There's a trend there about what is being used and what is being used for, and that can justify future plans. But for the first plan, it's a bit of a lottery sometimes as to what people will get in their funding. So yeah, it's difficult. So a good support coordinator will monitor the budget. So I will never allow my services to go over the budgeted amount, maintaining contact, communication with the participant keeping them updated on how that service is going and what's remaining is really important so that nobody is caught off guard. And the worst thing possible is to run out of money and go, well, I can't deliver services anymore. Every coordinator will have a different approach to how they do that. I have a backup of reserves that I tap into if anybody needs any extra assistance. But generally, we're monitoring and ensuring that doesn't happen on a constant basis. Okay. 
just to go back and understand your comment about how you never allow it to go over. It is because you monitor it, keep an eye on the time you spend, how you charge, and you are constantly monitoring the services, your work that you're doing, and the time you're spending on it. So you give people, your participants, a fair bit of advance notice. Yeah. Okay, this many hours are left, and these are the services I can cover or cannot cover in case we run out of time. This is what you can do. Is that what I'm understanding it uh, correct? Yeah, exactly. At the outset of a new plan, it's about the plan implementation process is really about mapping out how we're going to use the services over the period of the plan. So if it's a one-year plan, what do we need to do this month, in the next three months, the next six months, nine months, 12 months? So from a support coordination point of view, I always leave a few hours at the end because I know a bit of work there in gathering evidence for the plan review, doing my own report, attending the planning meeting. That needs to have a few hours at the end of the planning period. So that's always in reserve. As I mentioned, there's an upload of hours at the beginning to set things up and get things in motion. And in between, so from that two to three month period to the uh, nine month period, we've got a space that we need to stretch out any remaining hours within that. So we just keep monitoring. And if we get halfway through and we've used 70% of the funding on support coordination, that's a sign for us to, okay, we need to pull back or we need to review the situation and say, well, do we need to go for an early plan review to fix this up? So it's all about being proactive and finding a solution before the problems arises. And as you said, that experience counts. The more you know the system, you know, the quicker you are. Though dealing with other humans is never quick. Everybody's (laughs) busy and it takes time. We in this world, first people used to wait for their letters and their mails to get there. And now we wait for people to get some time to respond on our instant message service. So nothing is so instant in professional life when you are, we are trying to communicate with workers and other providers. So up till now, what we spoke about was very much an understanding for participants. So let's talk a little bit about upcoming support coordinators. What is two or three pointers that you can give them that if they are coming in, they are new, how they can build their own professional capacity to be as strategic and as good as you work? So what can you tell us about that? Okay, a few points. Read a lot and constantly. The one thing about the NDIS is things are always changing. So staying up to date on all the changes is probably the one constant of being a support coordinator. And there's a few things you can do. You just attend the updates, NDIA run updates on a regular basis. I have a system that notifies me when there's a change to particular pages on the NDIA website. So I can review those updates It notifies me. That's really handy. Subscribe to the newsletters from a range of organizations, not just the NDIA, but the Quality and Safeguards Commission. There's a few bodies that people should join to get updates. Do lots of training. There's a lot of free webinars that providers put out there. And particularly I'm finding plan managers, the big plan management companies Mm -hmm. are, are doing a lot of adding of value to the community. So they're running a lot of update webinars that are completely free and are really good value for particularly upcoming support coordinators. There's a lot of training, uh, paid training as well that's available that people can tap into a a few really good organizations that are doing some great quality in-depth training. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of that, but particularly keep reading, particularly the price guide. As you know, Aruna, that's one thing I keep harping on. People just 
I have seen it and I have asked your advice. <laughs> it is a difficult document. I agree. But take it in chunks. Read one section. And I say to people, pick it up once a week. And by the end of the year, you would have read through it. And it's time to start again. <laughs> like painting the Sydney um, Harbour Bridge. You get to the end and you got to start again. Start again. <laughs> and just, just keep reading a section on a regular basis. Highlight it. Do some more research if you don't understand the point. After a while, it just becomes second nature. And learning how to find the right information is probably the key thing. You don't have to have all the information in your head. And I certainly don't. But I know where to go to find the correct answer. And that's the key. That's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yep. Yes. And you can't avoid it because it is a profession. We need to keep ourselves updated with it. So, yeah. Oh. It's a fair bit to digest and we have got a long way. So now we have spoken support coordination. Now tell us who is Colin and how did he get into support coordination? Yeah, I, I came into it in a rather roundabout way for you know, a couple of decades. I was working in the corporate sector and then the great financial crisis hit and lots of change happened at that point. And I reassessed where I was. I was actually working in the recruitment industry at the time. And I took an opportunity to make a bit of a tree change. Mm -hmm. And I jumped into the disability employment service. So I was using my skills there. And okay, it took me probably just a couple of months to realize what a breath of fresh air working for it. But I was working for a not-for-profit. So that's one thing very different from the corporate sector. But finding some real value in what I was doing, not just chasing dollars for someone else that owns a company, but really adding value to the community. So I did um, disability employment for a couple of years. And then the NDIS made its appearance and <laughs> started changing the landscape. And so I was in Perth at the time and jumped into NDIS as unreal situation called support coordination that we had no idea what it was. <laughs> and then kind of, we just invented it as we went along at that point. There was very little guidance from the NDIA. So yeah, potted along with that for a while, saw the rollout across Australia develop. I moved to the uh, Catherine in the Northern Territory in 2017 to help a not-for-profit get set up and make the transition to NDIS when they were rolling out there. And then in 2018, I moved to Melbourne during the rollout here. So most recently, I was managing a team of 14 support coordinators at Victoria's largest community organisation. And then at the end of last year, I made the decision to jump ship and set up my own agency. And I really haven't looked back since. <laughs> it's, been, it's been an amazing journey for me. So I set up my coordinator in uh, August last year, officially. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so it's, it's just been on year now. Then how are you finding it? Oh, look, it has its challenges. I probably spend half my time dealing with Facebook groups and half my time actually on my business. So <laughs> it, it kind of feels like that. But I, th I think the, the whole COVID and lockdown in Melbourne kind of set the scene for me not having a life anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, that half the time that you spend on Facebook groups have been of immense benefit to so many people and you know i am I, constantly I, amazed with how much information is there in that head of yours is it going to fall off with the weight of information 
I keep saying to my friends, I live and breathe NDIS. Yeah, it's been my focus since 2014. I just had a rest from it, but I love it. I am a massive supporter of NDIS. I think it is a scheme that was well overdue and it solved many, many problems with the state systems that were in place at the time. I'm glad we're going through a big review because it's timely for that. And I think uh, NDIS is only going to get better and better and better. Thank you. Thank you. Though I can, like you, love NDIS and I can talk for another few hours about it, but I will definitely talk to you about it later. We may actually as well do a call reflecting on NDIS. But for now, this podcast, tell us if people want to engage your services, how can they do that? Yeah, um, look, the easiest way I have a website, it's mycoordinator.me, me. Everything about my business is I put people first. So it's always about the participant. That's why it's my coordinator. And that's why I chose dot me. Mm-hmm. So my contact details are there. I have a range of ways people can contact me. There's a web chat available on the website. My phone number's there. For your listeners, that's 0452-506-926. And um, we will put all the details in the show notes. So yeah, that's great. People Thank don't you. have to worry about writing it down, guys. Everything will be in show notes. So if you're just listening, that would be www.levhealth, L-E-V, h-e-a-l-t-h.com.au and this recording will be there and all of Colin's website and contact details will be there and we will point out in the show notes all the big points that we covered so if you want to specifically jump on a topic oh Colin thank you so much (laughs) I I hope I haven't blown your mind too much Aruna not not too much but I have been listening to you and thinking, oh, I need to talk about that. Oh, I need to talk about that. But I've been restraining, biting my tongue and restraining myself because this is the first season. And the first season, we are only talking about the roles. But we have still ended up talking so much more in depth than I had thought. So thank you once again. Thank you for coming. And thank you for being patient with me while I sorted through all the glitches. Uh, the, the technical issues we had at the beginning <laughs> the were amazing. <laughs> Tech is not my strong point. And I thank you for your patience because, you know, otherwise I would have cried. <laughs> <laughs> no, you pulled through really well, Aruna. I was amazed. I would have been pulling my hair out at that point. <laughs> Oh, I felt like it. I just just did not because you were watching. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all good. Look, thank you for the invite. It was a pleasure to be here and talk to your listeners. Yes. uh, All the the very best with your podcast. Thank you so much. I am hoping to be of service, my way of rendering service. Thank you guys for listening. You can also comment on our social media channels and you can comment on the website in the comment section. If you have any questions, as I said before, put it all of Colin's details in there and there will be a show note. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you in next episode. Till then, take care. If this podcast has been of service to you, please leave us a comment and share our podcast. It will keep our spirits up and help us reach those who need person-centered care in a safe, caring environment. The notes and the links that I speak about can be found at www.levhealth.com.au That is www.levhealth.com.au If you have a particular topic you want us to cover, please head to our website and fill a form. 
I look forward to seeing you again. Till then, Shalom.